Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Now I'm just coming in, just trying to listen and grow every day. Um, you know, I feel like we still got a lot of steps to take um, to be, in, you know, complete. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm taking it day by day and just keep working. That's Jordan Clarkson settling in pretty quickly and pretty nicely, helping out the Jazz bench. They're back at it tonight in Chicago. PK, it's three-game road trip, but this is not a difficult road trip. They don't have any really good teams on this trip. So let's go 3-0, and Dave. What do you say? There it is. 3-0. The bar. The goal. Get there. Jazz are 21 and 12. They've only got uh, one loss in the last couple of weeks. What is the main concern, PK? What is the next thing for them to fix? Or should Jazz fans just sit back and watch and pile up the wins? Because they've got it now. They're dialed in. Look, I would say right now, yeah, to have that opportunity to continue to play well. And then you always got something to worry about. You never don't. I mean, that's just we are as human beings. I can think of 20 things, 19 of which really don't matter, but I'm still going to find ways to worry about them. So my thought is the next big thing, provided everybody stays healthy, is how you're going to incorporate Conley when he's ready to go. Still don't know when that is. Jazz and Bulls tonight, 6 o'clock the tip. So 5 o'clock pregame here on the Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. Yeah, obviously, it's uh, a bittersweet. Um, the bitter part of it is that we lost a, a great visionary. Um, I think him and Dr. James Naismith is two of the most important people for the game of basketball. Um, obviously, Dr. Naismith, because he created the, the game. And then uh, David, his vision, his vision to make this game global. Don't know how many people believed in that with him or thought it was um, something that couldn't be done, but he made this game global. That's LeBron James talking about David Stern, the former NBA commissioner, passing away at the age of 77. He'd had a brain hemorrhage three weeks ago uh, while eating lunch in a Manhattan restaurant. Uh, he was 77. And PK, the game went, as LeBron uh, kind of alludes to there, from tape-delayed finals in the U.S. to playing games all over the world, NBA players from all over the world. Certainly the Olympics in 92 were a big step towards that. Uh, where the NBA is now and then, it's night and day. Total change. Oh, I can say that. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that if you look at who had the biggest impact on the game, who wasn't a player, then certainly you can put David Stern on that list and probably at the top of that list in our lifetime. You, you look at it from the player standpoint, you still had to have the players. And that time you speak of, of going from tape delay to where we are now, you know, you needed a magic and a bird. I think they're thought of as sort of, uh, what would you say, almost like the founding fathers of the modern NBA. And then they transitioned. And there was other guys along the line, Dr. J and, and some others, obviously, and then going forward into Michael Jordan. But those are players. So you got the players over here, and then you got David Stern over there. And when you look at it from the standpoint of a non-player to shepherd everything and sort of put everything together, then, yeah, his legacy will live on forever in that way. 
Four games in the NBA. Uh, the Lakers crushed the Suns, had a massive early lead, and just cruised home. And to uh, tie this all back into the Jazz and the Bulls tonight, you look at the teams leading the conferences, the Lakers in the West and the Bucks in the East, and they are both undefeated against sub-500 teams. Everybody's got to play them. All you can do is win those games. It's not going to define your season, but they're not giving anything away now, and there's a reason they're at the top spot, and that's one of them right there. These guys are crushing all the teams that are under 500. Yeah, LeBron's first game as 35 because he turned 35 on the 30th, and then obviously last night was his first game, and my gosh, he was just absolutely awesome. That was just the Suns, but still, at 35, he's incredible. Can we stick a fork in the Blazers? They had a four or five game win streak there, got within a couple games of 500, and I thought, okay, well, they're kind of on that same trend as the Oklahoma City Thunder are. They, they won't get into the top four, but they can still get into the playoffs. The Thunder kept winning, and they're in the seventh spot, and they're over 500 now. But the Blazers have dropped five in a row at 14 and 21. That looks like an awfully long haul. I suppose they're a game and a half out of a playoff spot, but so far from a 500, uh, no longer relevant to the Jazz unless they're playing them head-to-head. Yeah? Yeah, you're putting a fork in him. I think, you know, as, as human beings, that would probably hurt. Ah. So I'd adv- I would advise not doing that. I've been putting a fork in everything for three weeks. I'm going to have to stop. So <laughs> we might as well stop yeah, with the Blazers. How many human beings have you stuck forks in? Because I don't know you've been into cannibalism. You've eaten everything in front of you except human beings. I'm going to take the fifth. I don't want to incriminate myself. Wow. Yep. Leave it up to your imagination. Let's talk some college hoops, Yak. Make it happen. Hashtag college basketball. So Utah State went to UNLV. Unlucky in love, PK. And unlucky from behind the three-point line. Could not make it three. Vegas jumped on him early and led the whole way and won 70-53. Couldn't buy a bucket. Yeah, this start of conference play. Now for these guys, they already played a couple of conference games earlier in of December and now it's conference season going forward and we speak about conference season being different and it is different there's no question it's different teams know you better uh, just the intensity increases and the Aggies did not look good now Canada didn't play again I don't know what his status is going forward Vegas hasn't had a good record I think they were like six and eight coming yep. into that game right? and so you're thinking all right Aggies probably should win well no doesn't turn out that way still plenty of time to recover but wow, I mean, you've got Vegas and then you come around on, uh, what's today? Today's only Thursday. So you've got uh, two more days and you got San Jose State coming into your building and they're undefeated. Yep. I mean, they are literally undefeated. So you, 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 you they're already, they already won two games, so it wouldn't be an 0-2 start. So it's not that bad. It would be a 2-2 two and two start, but obviously it would be a two-game losing streak. It sets up a pretty big clash on Saturday up at the Spectrum against the Aztecs. Utah State is due to hit some shots from behind the three-point line after that two-for-19 performance in Las Vegas. Tonight, the Utes are playing Oregon State. That's on the Pac-12 Networks at 6.30 up at the Huntsman Center if you want to go. Oregon State off to a 10-2 start. Utah off to a 9-3 start. So, big game for the Utes in the Pac-12 tonight. If you want to check that out, uh, that'll be starting a little after the Jazz game. They kind of overlap there, but nonetheless. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah. Sam with the snap. Blitz coming. Elliger hit as he throws for the end zone looking for Duvernay. And a flag comes in. Devin caught it anyway. 
Texas. How do you like that? Interfere, grab, held, and Duvernay makes the catch for the Texas touchdown. Here's Keontae with running room, 45-40. Keontae has stiff arms still on his feet, 35-30. Keontae, say goodnight to this one. Ingram finishes the job. One play, 49 big ones to the house, and that should do it. Couple of the second half highlights for the Longhorns is Texas with a uh, in control in the lead at halftime, but they really blew it open in the second half and they win 38 to 10. Huge disappointment for the Utes and now 0-4 in December the last two years, 20-4 in the regular season, which is great. 0-4 in December, really disappointed bunch of Utes at the podium. Uh, they they didn't take the one. They, they were down after the San, after the loss in San Diego in the Holiday Bowl last year. But this one, uh, this one was different, PK. Oh, I totally agree. I'm trying to remember a more disappointing loss. I don't know that I can come up one in, up with one in recent times. You're better at that than I am. But yeah, that was that was bad. That was really really bad. I, I got more worried about Texas as I was down in San Antonio for three days and speaking to people and really doing a much deeper dive into the Longhorns than I would from Salt Lake, certainly, without really paying attention to them at that level throughout the regular season. So I thought that it could be more difficult than I originally anticipated, so I was concerned about that. But that was a complete and total no-show. All right, we got a lot of reaction on that, and we are going to get to that coming up. And Frank Dolce will be here at 8 o'clock to help us uh, put a bow in this season and look ahead to the next one. Your reaction to the loss with the Longhorns coming up in about 10 minutes. Stay with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hashtag college football. Herbert, points to the right, handed off to Runell, kept it. Going to try to go outside, straight arm. 25, 20, foot race, 10. Are you kidding me? Justin Herbert has scored. Justin Herbert with a burst of speed. That's a decision that I think his family needs to make, and I'm sure when they make that decision, uh, they'll let everybody know. All right, there are the stories. Looking back and looking forward, New Year's Day highlighted by a very good Rose Bowl, and Justin Herbert runs for three touchdowns, and Oregon gets the win, 28-27. So, of the top three teams in the conference, two of them lost, but I guess if you wanted one to win, you want the one to win in the Rose Bowl, and everybody's watching. USC and Utah got blown out, but Oregon gets it done, PK. Yeah, they did. They took advantage of the turnovers, obviously, that punter drop of the ball, and Brady Breeze picking it up and running it in was very important, and and they did just enough, and that's really all you need to do because who cares how you win as long as you win. Oregon gets the victory, caps their season. The, the uh, Pac-12 champs, 12-2, and two, and now Herbert, the senior, off to the NFL. Had a great recruiting year. Be interesting to see if they can uh, get rock-solid quarterback play. You start doing that, and then, you're not, uh, then they're not rebuilding, they're reloading. We'll see if they can pull that off. The Sugar Bowl, Georgia beats Baylor 26-14. to And Minnesota, disappointing finish to their season. They had a chance at the Big Ten title. And then the last two of the last three games, I guess, not really going their way. But they didn't win their bowl game. They beat Auburn 31-24. So Minnesota finishes the year 11-2. And, and Bama, Mac Jones is the future. How do you like the future for the Crimson Tide? They're not going anywhere, are they? What do you mean? As far as being a national title contender, if Tua Tungavailoa, which is what we just heard there, was uh, that was uh, 
Nick Saban looking ahead and Tagovailoa on Monday the 6th is supposed to announce what he's going to do. I assume he's going to go to the pros, but we'll see. But if he does go to the pro, Mac Jones throwing for 300 yards, three touchdowns. Bama blows out Michigan. I mean, they, they lost two games in the regular season this year for the first time since like 2010. That's an unbelievable run. But finish yeah, on a high I'd, note. I'd have to see um, once the graduate transfer stuff is done, who's on the roster. College football today, if you want some more, 21st-ranked Cincinnati plays Boston College, and uh, that's in 1 o'clock. And then Indiana and Tennessee, the Gator Bowl, both those games are on ESPN. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. So the regular season ends, and Cowboy head coach Jason Garrett's out there uh, taking selfies with his whole family in his suit, throwing the ball around at midfield. It really felt like a goodbye to the star there at the 50-yard line. But he hasn't been fired yet. Meeting for a third time now as they try to figure out uh, what the future holds for the Cowboys and Garrett. His contract expires January 14th. The coach this year is a lame duck. So, see if Jason Garrett is somehow going to get another deal in Dallas. Seems a little hard to believe. They've been to the playoffs three times in his nine years. They haven't been to a, they haven't been to a conference championship game since the last time he went to the Super Bowl. A quarter of a century without the Cowboys in the NFC title game. Mm, what drama. Exactly. Uh, it is official. It finally happened. Ron Rivera, the head coach in Washington. He hires Jack Del Rio, a former NFL head coach himself, a former USC Trojan, as a defensive coordinator. Washington finally going to get it together, PK, or crazy ownership will sink you every time, no matter how good the coaching staff looks. Well, I think you have to say this a million times. You have to have everything lined up. You have to have good ownership. You have to have good management. You have to have good players. And if you have any of those three out of the whack, well, then it becomes more difficult. So if that ownership is going to interfere and make decisions that they shouldn't be making, well, yeah, there's going to be problems. I'm never going to own a team, so it doesn't really matter. But I always thought you should hire a GM and let the GM hire the coach and then hold the GM responsible for how things go. Cleveland fired the coach then eventually the Browns make the decision to uh, and mutually agree to part ways with their GM Jimmy Haslam but now there are reports out of Cleveland that they're going to hire a head coach before they hire a GM it's Cleveland they're just going to insist on getting it wrong would you hire a coach and then hire your GM that didn't make any sense to me I guess so I hadn't really thought about it what is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690 at Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up next, the Utes. What went wrong? What has to be fixed? How are you fans feeling at the end of an 11-3 season? Uh, I've already taken a peek at our Facebook page. You may have done the same over uh, New Year's. People are mad. People are frustrated. People are sad. We'll get to all of that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. We're talking about Clarkson being the spark that has now answered some of these problems. Sparkson. Jordan Sparkson. Exactly. Came up with a great nickname. I did, on accident. 
people aren't loving your nickname so First far. First of all, I did not give him that nickname. You did. No, nah, you said it, and I just formulated it for you. Sparkson. Yeah. I said it. You came up with it. No. Like, you, you created no, you it, did. and I presented it. We're in this together. I, You're stocked, and I'm alone. No. You pass, I score. No. That's how it goes. No, somebody deflected it. You caught it and laid it in, and now you want to give me an assist. You don't want an assist? Not on this one. It's a good nickname that you came up with. No. Tony Parks and Austin Horton, weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, it's all over for Utah, 11-1, the hope of a conference title, a trip to the Rose Bowl, maybe to the playoff, and it all slips away with two December losses, 11-3, I think they're going to end up ranked in the teens somewhere, 16, 18, maybe 20. We'll see. But whatever that is, it doesn't really matter, PK, because there was a hope that this was going to be a great season, a magical season. I think it's still a good one, but it stings right now. Ute fans aren't even anything remotely close to happy, even though they got an 11-win season. Oh, I think it'll sting forever, not just right now, next week, next month, next year. Yeah, absolutely. They had all these dudes coming back. They were set up a senior quarterback who had years of experience. And so you wanted to have a really, really, really good season, special if you want to use that word. And they were there to have it. And the last two games were very disappointing. The thing that surprised me is you look at the history of Utah football, and it seems like it's really hard to play at a great level week in, week out, that type of thing. And they always have a stinker, right? Well, in prior years, it seems like that stinker, for whatever reason, always came against the Devils. Well, this year, it came against Oregon, right? We saw that, and thought, oh, well, this is the worst time they could have picked to have that stinker. But then they usually bounce back. But they didn't bounce back in the Alamo Bowl, and that was surprising to me. And maybe there's something to be said for the runner-up in the Pac-12 is 0-9, because with the Rose Bowl on the line – and not as a couple of those teams went to the playoff, I understand that. But with the Rose Bowl on the line, generally, that's a great accomplishment. And we see Oregon. I mean, they celebrated wildly, as they should, when they won that game uh, yesterday evening. And that's great. I would do the same thing. And so maybe there's some reasons there. It's a letdown, the Rose Bowl, the Alamo Bowl. I felt like the Alamo Bowl was the, the best bowl atmosphere that the Utes have played in since they've been in this conference, you know, because you have the, the bowl in Santa Clara, the, even the bowl in San Diego, the way the community is set up, there's not a lot of people milling around. Well, in San Antonio, the, the bowl, the literal facility is just right down the street and everyone's there at the river walk and all, they made a big deal. I don't know how you got there. I walked over. Yeah. And, you know, they got all sorts of stuff. So it felt like something was special. And I was hoping maybe that would pump up the Utes. But they just come out, came out and, and looked really bad. One other thing I wanted to say, I was talking to somebody who's in the business and knows very, very well about what's going on. And we were talking that night uh, after the game, right, right after the game. And he was saying, you know, one of the things that Utah's offense is built for is to – have these games in which they have the lead and they control the game. And we saw that in all of those uh, games that they won in conference, right? They had that eight-game winning streak. And even 
except for Washington, but they weren't really that far behind. But once they get behind by a couple of scores, you know, the offense with the tempo that they play and all, it's really hard for them to come back. And so the offense is good to win a whole bunch of games. But once you get down, the offense isn't built to be able to come back like that and score and score quickly. And he was saying that that becomes a problem. It's a good offense to win eight games, nine games. But those are a couple of games where you're going to need to really put it together. It's not there. It's not good enough to do that. Uh, there's probably some truth to that. I think that there is, as I go through our Facebook comments here, uh, there's a lot of people who are just angry. There are people who come up with specific reasons for what went wrong. Uh, Jack says the offensive and defensive line got trucked all night. All I uh, seen was a quarterback running for his life 80% of the game. Very sad. I didn't think the defensive line had major issues until the second half. I thought the defense in the first half, I mean, there was a punt return down to the six-yard line to set up the TD. The defense on the opening drive gave up uh, a big pass play. But I thought the defense was pretty solid in the first half. The offensive line, I thought they had the same issue they had back in September. And I thought they kind of solved it over the course of the season. But there were multiple games earlier this year. And we went up to those Monday press conferences with Kyle. And he talked about it several times. That the Utah offensive line was getting better, but they had to do a better job of handling the run blitzes. And at the end of the night, asked what went wrong. Zach Moss went right to, we never got in a tempo, we got blitzed a lot, and we didn't make him pay. And then Kyle just doubled down on that immediately. Zach's exactly right. And so it's this issue with the O-line. You know, for a long time, the problem was with the receivers. And I thought the receivers weren't as good as Texas receivers. They made big catches when they were pretty well covered, but not, not, not perfectly covered. And the Utes had a couple chances and couldn't quite connect. But I thought far and away the biggest problem was Texas blitzed and Utah got hit in the backfield again and again. And they're going to have to fix that in the offseason because this is all over the tape and all the coaches go back and watch all the tape, and they already kind of know it, but this just underlines and puts an exclamation point. And it's mostly going to be the same old line back next year. They're going to have four of the five starters are underclassmen. So this is uh, an issue to watch. It, it, it bit them hard. They, they struggled with it all night long. Yeah, I think they've got to get better. I think part of the reason for the winning streak now that we can see is the Pac-12 was generally a host of mediocre teams. And Utah was better than those mediocre teams. And they beat those eight mediocre teams uh, with, I guess, uh, Washington maybe potentially be on the higher end of the mediocre team list. And then you got a bunch of them that are on the middle to the bottom end of that mediocre team list. There weren't really great teams that they beat. I mean, I don't think you could say they beat two teams that won eight games, right? That's, that's it, uh, including the bull wins. And they're better than those teams. Clearly, they were better than those teams. And the defense was better because it could masquerade some of the offense's weaknesses because your defense was better. Well, then in this this game, defensively, when you're down two starters in the defensive backfield, it was hard to overcome that. We saw, I think it was literally the very first play, Ellinger just going right at the middle of the field where Julian Blackman would be, but he wasn't there. And then you look at Texas, and, and, and as I came away after being in Texas, as I said, for those three days, talking to seven, eight guys from Texas media who follow the team and have been following the team for many, literally decades, and they've got some veteran guys working in Austin, 
and hanging around them that Texas underachieved a little bit. And um, in the Alamo Bowl, they didn't underachieve. I mean, they're guys like this Johnson kid at receiver. He's like 6'6". I know. He's, and, and he's going up against a, a, a Tariq Lewis and these guys who are 5'11". And you're looking at, man, he looks like Calvin Johnson, not Colin Johnson. And so Texas was able to play to its ability. And you listen to Herman speak, and he said it before. And and not so much what he said, but what the media guys say, because they'll, they'll give you what they see as the accurate scoop. And spending uh, a lot of time with them on Monday, saying, you know, this is the most healthy this team has been since August. And so they were expecting a pretty good game out of them. And that's exactly what they got. And the Utes weren't up to the task. I think also that, you know, we, and we talked about it a little bit, and we probably should have hit it harder. But Texas came in 7-5, and five, but they lost to three top 10 teams. And yeah. I think it's pretty safe to say if the Utes had played three top 10 teams, they would have lost to three top 10 teams. But they played one top 10 team. So, yes, the Utes had a much better record, but look at the schedule. Now, Texas, the underachievement part, because Tom Herman did say that in his postgame. You know, we didn't have the regular season. We weren't happy with the regular season we had. They left wins on the table. They lost to a 5-7 and seven TCU team, and we're not there to know exactly what went wrong and maybe injuries are a part of it. But that's a bad loss. You know, and that, that one they got to own. Um, but Josh posted on our Facebook page, too many four-star athletes in the last two games to compete against. Utah can't hang until they get some of those recruits. And we got a couple guys commenting on that. And, you know, often when somebody says something like that, uh, the way it works with rivaling in the state, whether it's positive or negative, the other fan base will come and go the other way. But the two people who commented both agree with them. Yep, just like USC, very similar programs. And Josh, I agree. And, you know, the youth started to get the four-star guys. They, you know, they pulled one away from Texas, ironically, uh, right at the end of recruiting. So we'll see if they get more of those guys. But you're right, standing on the field in the pregame warm-ups, some of the, the Texas receivers are, you know, running fade routes to the corner and they're coming right by the sideline where the media's standing and doing live shots and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, those guys are huge. I mean, I've been standing next to the youths all year. They're not that big. Those guys are massive. Yeah, I'm not so concerned about high school stars. I'm more concerned about NFL prospects. And so that's where I don't buy that as much because once you get to college, your star system becomes irrelevant. Uh, are you good enough? You know, we saw that with Tuttle. I mean, he's basically, he was all that with the stars, but yet he's 0 for 2. He didn't start at Indiana, and he didn't even play at Utah. So your stars are nice, but once you step on the campus, it's about what you do from that point going forward, not about what you did from that point going backward. And so when I look at the NFL prospects, Utah has a lot. Now, they were missing two NFL prospects in their defensive backfield because of Jalen Johnson certainly is an NFL prospect, and a healthy Julian Blackman is an NFL prospect. I think most of us would agree with that. And so they were down two, and that was a problem. But, you know, Kyle doesn't want to hear about injuries. He'll smack me upside the head if I start making excuses for him because he's never going to make it. And, uh, and I buy that. You just have to play the other guys, the next man up type of stuff. So Utah has enough NFL prospects on defense. On offense, they were lacking because right now, as you look at that offense, and I don't know how the offensive line is going to develop. I don't have the trained eye for that. And as you say, so many of them were still on the younger side and get to come back and we'll get more evidence in the next couple of years. But offensively, you know, maybe uh, Zach Moss and that's it. 
right now as far as an NFL prospect, unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, possibly Donovan Thompson if he develops a little bit more. He's got some size, so we'll see how that plays out. But they don't have some big-time guys still, so particularly on the offensive side. And I guess you can correlate that to the star system if you want, and I don't have any problem with that. But it's more about how many NFL guys, how many NFL prospects do you have? And maybe the Utes just don't have enough on offense to play these bigger teams, literally bigger and then bigger name teams or teams that have a fair amount, equal or even more talent. It ends up to a lot of disappointment. I, I was I was disappointed. You know, I'm always sad when the season gets over. I told you that. And I'm sad today. My freaking dog died a couple of days ago and I'm still hung over on that. So I'm sad about that. And I'm sad about the season being over. And I'm sad about the Utes did not play the way they're capable of. And it was a bad ending to a pretty good season. I guess that would be the most important thing for Kyle to figure out going forward. Is what? The Ute offense, because it, when you look at offense, defense, special teams, I thought the defense was good for 30 minutes. Then in the second half, it just got away from them. Texas went and scored four touchdowns. And maybe, you know, with the two NFL guys in the secondary, you know, next man up sounds good, but they don't have another Jalen Johnson, right? They don't have a guy who walked in, four-star guy, said, I'm going to play three years, get my degree, and go to the NFL, and he just did it. And they don't have another guy with that combination of size, speed, experience, savvy. You know, they, they don't. So set the defense aside. Offensively, did they, um, did they not play up to par, and that's the problem that has to be fixed to get them to play their best in the big game? Or they played a team with significantly more talent, a team with significantly more athletic ability, size, speed, and they're good enough to beat Arizona, UCLA, and Colorado, but Arizona, UCLA, and Colorado, ASU too, don't have the size and speed and athletic ability of a healthy Texas team and a healthy Oregon team. And so it's really, you can't beat on these guys to play any better because you pretty much got everything they got and you just got to go get better guys. So there's a question of, do they have to coach them up or do they have to go get better players? Ultimately, probably have to do both, but it's probably more of one or the other. And I think to your point on offense, uh, more NFL guys. Do they have, they, maybe they have an NFL tight end. We'll have to see how Keithy continues to develop. He really came on at the end of the season, but that's a pretty small sample. Nobody would have said he was an NFL guy watching the first half of the season. Made a lot of plays. I think he made probably two pretty good plays. In that game, now, when the offensive line is struggling to block, maybe he could have made more, and, you know, Huntley was running for his life, so it didn't matter that he was open. Um, he had the one big play on the touchdown drive, I remember that. And he had a good catch early in the game. Yeah, so, I think that the – I agree with you what you're saying. The offense needs to have more improvement because it goes back to what I was saying, is there was never really any pressure on the offense throughout that eight-game winning streak. Because even in the Washington game that they won, which was their toughest win – an away game against a decent program, not necessarily a decent team. They were a decent team this year, but not a great team, but a really good program. And it was looking, going back, now that the season is in review, that was their best win, was winning at Washington, I believe, unless I'm missing something off the top of my head. And the defense made the critical play of the game. And so the offense, you never really had to rely on the offense to go win your ball game, right? I mean, you look at that Arizona State game. That was all about defense. 21-3, yeah. Yeah. When there give, was, up, give up three points, you ought to win the game. Yeah, there's no – the offense was good enough. 
because it had the defense as a fallback. It was the safety net underneath on the trapeze, you know, the trapeze thing, right? You got the safety net under so you fall, you're covered. So the offense never had to go win football games. And it was easy, not necessarily easy, but the task was not that difficult because they weren't under pressure. These last two games, they were under pressure, and that's where we saw the weaknesses and the offensive line was not able to do keep up its end of the deal. So it ended up being very difficult for Tyler Huntley. And I have to give Huntley credit. And I'm gonna miss the kid. I got to not that I got to know him, but I got to like him and his competitive nature and just the way he played, how hard he played all the time. And it was something that I really appreciated. And you look at that one play where the game was in doubt and he could have slid, but no, he just ran right into the dude like a battering ram. And so I appreciated his competitiveness. It was his competitive fire in which that kid played. It was as good as any college player I've ever seen. And I'm going to miss that, but that's the nature of college. You know, you, you get to used to these kids and then boom, they're gone and you have a new batch and that's just the way life is here. So the offense in the final analysis, couldn't win you games if it had to. It could do what it did as long as the defense was really, really good, which is what happened during most of that eight-game winning streak. But when the offense needed to step up and say, hey, guys, we got this, they couldn't do it. Nate says, uh, just tweeted at us, concerning the Utes, the game was very frustrating. I think some of the players started believing the hype. felt bad for the players, but I think the future is bright. So to the point about upgrading talent, I think Kyle has clearly done that. If you break the nine years in the Pac-12, every three years they're better. Maybe a step forward to go backwards. That's what it was a couple years ago when they went with Huntley as a sophomore and had a 7-6 and six season. That's clearly the worst year of the last five, six years now, I guess. Last six years. Uh, everything else has been nine wins or better. So there may be that, but... Have they started, you know, Kyle and his recruiting day thing, and the class wasn't even done at that point when he spoke to us. I, mean, I guess it's still not done. They have a scholarship or two left. Um, but it was mostly done at that point. And did he bring in a group of guys that over the next three years is going to ump the ante again? Because in these three-year cycles, they keep doing better. They weren't bowl eligible the first three, well, just one time. Uh, the middle three, they got bowl eligible, but they were going to Vegas most of the time, and they couldn't win the division, and they kept stumbling in November. And now they can win the division, but these elite programs are just, you know, 0-4 in December speaks for itself the last two years. That tells you all you need to know. Oh, I think their future is fine. I, I don't know that I could say it's bright because I have to define what bright is, and I trust these guys – to evaluate that's why i don't get caught up in the star system with them because uh, they know how to recruit and they know how to find talent i get caught up with my sun devils i want them to get as many four-star guys because i don't know their guys as far as the level that i know scally the level that i know kyle and how they can identify and develop talent i've seen it i can go through a list the list is so long that i actually need the list in order to remember all the guys that they've developed so when they don't get these four or five stars, whatever it is, the guys they get, I'm expecting most of them to be pretty good players because they develop them. But with that in mind, you know, I still have my doubts on offense because historically they don't bring in a bunch of studs on offense. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, again, you know, who is the big playmaker on the receiving end? I mean, they got guys with you know, four or 500 yards receiving. You look at Texas, they got a guy with a thousand yards. 
And so you need that. You need big-time players on offense. And Moss was a big-time player. But, you know, I keep hearing their running backs are all that and all, and we'll see. Maybe they are. But we heard last year at this time, well, Jordan Wilmar was supposed to be this and that. And oh, let's wait a second. He, I mean, he really didn't do a whole lot this year. But he's just a freshman, so I'm not going to say, oh, he's a bust by any stretch. But I'm just saying, as I look at this program, they bring in guys on defense, and I expect them to be horses. And guys on offense, for me, it's like, well, I got to wait and see. I got to wait and see who's going to develop. You bring up Keithy sort of came out of nowhere from that way. I mean, they probably saw something and they developed him and put him in a position to be pretty good. And now he's got two years left and I'm expecting him to be a significant factor, even though historically for Utah's purposes, tight ends have not been super big time players, but maybe this kid's the exception, but yeah, they need more talent. Now, the fact that they've got this grad transfer coming in at quarterback makes me think they're going to be in the mix because you're not getting a newcomer. You're getting a guy with a whole bunch of starts who's thrown for a whole bunch of yards in the nation's most difficult conference. So I got high expectations for him, assuming he wins a job. I don't know if he will, but if he does, yeah, I'm expecting them to be competitive. So if you want to say the future's bright, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think the future is good. I think they've got the future uh, to where the program is going to be competitive. I expect it to be competitive. I expect them to be in the realm for eight, nine, maybe ten wins again next season. More uh, feedback pulling in, or rolling in here on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, Fred says, I believe Oregon exposes the only weak point on the team. The O-line. Once that got exposed, Texas game planned for it. Great season. Go Utes. That's interesting because we often focus on the, on the uh, skill players, and certainly uh, your point on wide receivers is spot on. We've been over it a, a gazillion times. And I thought as a group they made plays, but there is no 1,000-yard guy. There's no 800-yard guy. You know, they, they spread it around, but the O-line has been better. Could be better. Yeah. Should oh, be yeah, better. for sure. And it's going to have to get better. There's no question about that. That's, a, that's an obvious. I think it will get better, too. That's why you know, I'm down in the moment for the program because of the last two losses and then the season is over. I always have a little hangover effect. I've spoken about that as I've gotten older. I've come to appreciate because you don't know what's around the corner and nothing for you is guaranteed as far as what tomorrow, what next season brings. And so I always have my, me personally, no matter what season, when the jazz season, when it ends, I always feel a little bit down about it. It takes me a couple of days to get over it. Uh, yeah, but start it's, looking for, it's, summer, it's summer and golf season then. <laughs> so it's easier. Yeah, right. It's easier. Yeah. I'll go yeah, golf. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can do that because we have the personal anticipation for the good weather that is about is already there at that point. And so here for colleges, you know, because we get so involved, we're, we're there three, four times a week. For my purposes, I go to all the games home and away and we're and you just get so pumped for it. So when it's over, you're down a little bit. It's just a natural uh, situation and it's, it's the human nature of it particularly for me as I've gotten older and I can learn to appreciate little things along the way because that's what makes up that's the whole point of life is appreciating what things that you have at the time you have them and so here I don't think the future is bad by any stretch but they're going to have to improve in certain areas and I think they'll be fine they have been fine for a number of years now and I see no reason for them to not be fine particularly as I look at the south division i don't see an oregon where you have to really point man we've got to beat these guys 
they're, you know, a Clemson in the ACC. We've got, and that's the extreme example. We've got to beat these guys. Well, there's really no team, no program in the South where you say, man, that's who we've got to beat. SC has been, but I don't think they're in that situation right now. So that leads me to believe if I want to look for good stuff, that the Utes will be in the mix again next year. Yeah, the South looks wide open. I, I expect USC is going to pick, be picked number one, but certainly, uh, you know, they've had their issues, their ups and downs. But they were 7-2 and two in the league this year for all the Clay Helton talk. Uh, they, they were 7-2, and two, and they had to play Oregon, and Utah didn't, and I'm sure USC fans would point to that immediately. Uh, and ASU may be on the way up with a freshman quarterback. That was a decent year. Um, We'll see if UCLA can get their act together. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz in Chicago, we will get to that next. The Jazz on a nice stretch here. Can they keep beating the teams they're supposed to? Because that's what's sitting in front of them, and the bench is looking better. We'll get to that next. Frank Dolce is here to talk youth football and look ahead in about 20 minutes on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz are playing the Chicago Bulls tonight. And I think we were all intrigued. The trade for Clarkson, remembered with the Lakers. We probably didn't watch him in Cleveland that much. Uh, but PK, this has been... I don't think anyone could have hoped for anything more. And I know it's a small sample size and barely got going, and maybe we'll think something different in a month or two or three. But the the bench, and, and you know, they've done some other stuff with the bench, and they'll do more when Conley gets back and they'll move minutes around. And I don't want to say the bench has been great every time they step on the floor, but it's clearly been much better. Oh, for sure. I mean, Clarkson has given them what they needed, man. There's just no doubt about it. He's a, He's a player. And now he's going to be in a winning situation. Dude buried in Cleveland. I mean, they're not winning with no looking like they're going to be winning anytime soon. Jazz are winning right now. It's a great thing about being a Jazz fan is they're doing everything they can to try to win right now. They're two games at a second place, and you've got 50 games to go. I mean, th- this is a this is a good spot. they got to maintain health. Pretty much everybody has to maintain health. That's never changed. And that's you can say that across the board, right? So with that in mind, if they can maintain health to their key guys, and obviously those key guys, we know who they are, and if they can stay healthy, then uh, they should be in the mix, and this is what you wanted. Clarkson is giving them the punch that he's needed. I mean, take that last train to Clarkson. Oh, I see what you did there. Sing it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, as you point out, two two games out of second place, uh, second through six of so five teams all bunched up there. Now on average, these teams are winning about six or seven out of every ten games, and the Jazz schedule is so soft going forward that if they just keep beating the teams they're supposed to, they're probably going to make those two games up on most, if not all, of those teams. Now 
you slip up a game or two and, and you give that advantage away. So it's not done until it's done. But this is a this trip is Chicago, Orlando, and New Orleans. Sounds weird to predict a three and zero road trip, but that's three teams with losing records. So if everybody else keeps doing what they're supposed to do, which is about seven out of ten or so. Jazz ought to be making up ground here as long as they don't lay an egg against an inferior team. Oh, I'm guaranteeing 3-0. They don't go 3-0. You're going to wear that lucky sweatshirt? I don't know that I need it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm undefeated with that. But you can't overdo it. If you overdo a superstition, then it doesn't work for you anymore, right? You just can't. You got you to pick your spots. You know, the red coat. That Jackaletti brought out. Uh-huh. I think sometimes Larry's, if he wore it every time, no, it wouldn't be a lucky jacket. So you got to pick your spots. And right now, they don't need me. That's the great thing about it is they don't need me to pick any spots because it's a couple of things here. I mean, clearly, Joe going in the starting lineup has made a massive difference. Yeah. It's, you, you can't argue. I don't need analytics. I'm sure the analytics back it up, but I can see it. I can literally see it. And he's turned it on to the best level that he's ever played, which is really no surprise when you think about it because he's playing on the best team that he's ever played on. I think this team right now is better than the prior playoff teams that he was on. And he's the type of, I say glue guy, but I think that is somewhat of a misnomer. To me, glue guy is like saying game manager for a quarterback, and that's not viewed as something that you want to be identified with. So I don't mean it in a negative way, but he's the type of player that is going to make players better. And if you already have a lot that you can bring to the table, he can elevate your game. If you don't have as much, it's harder for him to elevate your game because you don't have as much to bring to start with. Well, with that in mind, he does have that to the players that he's playing with. And then he's elevated his game. And some of it was just a matter of the law of averages because he's proven to be a competent three-point shooter and he wasn't shooting as well. Now he's shooting well. Okay, fine. And then Clarkson providing the spark that they needed off the bench, man. It's clear. And I don't want to go crazy and act like they're the overwhelming favorite because we'll find out over these next 50 games who's what. But he's playing very well now for Clarkson and so is Ingles. And I think right now, in the immediate, those are the two difference makers. I I don't think it's changed anything as far as looking at the Lakers and Clippers and thinking those two are the teams who ought to be the favorites. And, you know, health will determine a lot because we thought the Lakers were all that on Christmas Day a year ago and it all went horribly wrong. I think they got a better team now and maybe they'll have better luck with injuries. So I think if you're a handicap in the West, you still got to say Lakers and Clippers and the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Rockets and the Nuggets are all behind them. But the Jazz were running sixth and they were running sixth by a pretty wide margin. So all along we thought, can you get out of the 4-5 series and give yourself a decent chance? So we'll see if they uh, we'll see if they do that. That first, and then worry about how you close the gap on the Lakers. Yeah, Clippers. I think they will get out of the 4-5 series, but I also think that it's a double-edged sword. I think the 4-5 series will be tougher than it has been, and it's it's hard to say anything is tougher when it already went seven games. This is what they've had, uh, seven and six, in the, right in the two five, four fives that they've won. So I think that series could be tougher, but then I think if you win that, the the one versus the winner of the four or five wouldn't be as tough as it had been in the prior years. 
that may be true. Maybe there won't be a team as dominant as the Warriors sitting there waiting for them. Uh, I guess one year it was the Rockets who were sitting there waiting for them as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the Lakers and Clippers of this year won't be as good as the Rockets and Warriors of those years, but they'll still be pretty good. I mean, the Lakers are sitting out there. They, they win in 75% of your games. That's a 60-win clip. That's pretty solid. And I know yeah. that's not the same as beating a 65-win Warrior team. They could be a 73-win Warrior team if they wanted, but since they already did that and it didn't pay off, what's the point of working that hard at it? Um, you can't argue with that. The Warriors were so stacked. But, uh, you know, what we get, what we have right now is the games in front of us. So I'm intrigued to see if they can get to 55 wins. I'm intrigued to see if they can get to third in the West. And as you point out, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, they're tied with Dallas. They're a game and a half to the Rockets. And they're two games to the Nuggets and Clippers. And this, just, a, just a slew, just night after, well, not really night after night, Every other night, they're going to be seeing a team with a losing record here through like game January after game. 20th. Game after game through January 20th. So. Well, if they don't beat all these teams, I'm taking the month off. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Reward yeah. yourself with a little downtime. That no, was a no. loss, and it was exhausting. It's, it's not rewarding myself. It's just going to be so disgusted, I'm going to need the time to regroup. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Michael Smith, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet's coming up at 9 o'clock. Frank Dolce, Utah football insider, analyst for The Zone Sports Network. He's next. Stay with us.